This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jean Prather, CFO of eBuilder, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 277. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak with Anthony Scaglione, CFO of ABM Industries. So the barriers of entry are typically low. Where we benefit from is scale. You know, being the largest, we have economies of scale. We have the ability to deploy labor much more efficiently than some of our smaller competitors, um, but the traditional barriers of entry, they're fairly low. And one of the driving uh, theories behind our strategy is if we can get stickier with our customer by selling more services, we have a higher potential to retain that customer, a higher value proposition, and hopefully over time, we're creating value through the strategy. Listen to our complete interview with Anthony after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intact provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking with Anthony Scaglione, CFO and Executive Vice President of ABM Industries, a facilities management and solutions company. ABM has over 100,000 employees today with more than uh, $5 billion in annual revenues. Anthony, welcome. Oh, great to be here, Jack. Uh, we're always excited to have a, a finance leader from an industry that we haven't featured before. And... Um, I also think it's interesting, ABM is, is more than 100 years old, which we all know how the uh, Fortune 1000 list turns over uh, rather rapidly these days. Uh, meanwhile, there's something I think uh, distinctive about your background, which I'm hoping uh, we can explore in our discussion. Um, just what I'm getting at there for the moment, I'm going to keep you and our, our listeners in a little bit of suspense and uh, yield to you in, in order to allow you, if you would, uh, share in your own words Anthony, what you think uh, those experiences were that helped uh, prepare you uh, for a CFO role? Sure, sure. So uh, I had actually an interesting uh, career path. Um, started out in public accounting, a traditional CPA path, um, a tape night CPA, and quickly realized the public accounting route uh, wasn't something that long-term I thought was going to be in my best interest. Um, so I shifted into, into industry, uh, worked a couple of years, in industry, and then actually went back into public accounting, which is uh, not your typical career path. Um, but the second stint uh, in public accounting was with Ernst & Young on their advisory side. So I was able to really leverage the experience, both from an accounting standpoint and what I learned in industry, to really start to help companies uh, from an advisory standpoint uh, 
through some technical issues, both from an accounting and also strategy. Um, spent a couple of years at E&Y and really was itching to, to run a business or be part of a, a longer-term business. Um, and as you can imagine, if you're an advisor or a consultant, you have a lot of great customers, a lot of great opportunities, a lot of different um, uh, tasks that you're working on, but you never see it truly to fruition because um, you know, typically you'll make a, a change, but it takes years before those changes uh, could take years before those changes really take hold. Um, so I was really looking to go back into industry, and I had the opportunity to leverage uh, my experience with consulting to uh, land a great opportunity with the company uh, called Computer Associates, or CA, um, and really run their international treasury over a, a few years. And they were really going through a major transition or transformation when I joined. Um, so that was you know, my career path, which ultimately led uh, to a treasurer position uh, so transitioning from an assistant treasurer at, at Computer Associates to a treasurer position here at ABM, which really opened me up to much broader uh, set of responsibilities, uh, which over the last couple of years then led to me being appointed CFO um, almost two years now. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to get at. You took the treasury path, which isn't always the conventional path, uh, I believe. Now, I want you to tell me differently, or I want you to share with us why uh, that was the optimal path for you? Um, well, for me, I think, you know, Treasury is an interesting area because it, it really deals with uh, forward-looking more than uh, what I would say a reporting, a pure reporting role, which is typically, you know, backward-looking and reporting in the numbers. Equally important, but it's a different, slightly different role because you're looking out, outward in terms of capital structure, uh, looking outward in terms of value creation and ways you can have value creation or help the business with value creation. So for me, I was more um, drawn to that aspect of finance. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier in my career, I had the opportunity to spend more time on the reporting side of the, the house through audit. For me, it, was, it just was uh, an interesting path. And when I joined ABM, um, Treasury was fairly basic vis-a-vis um, my experience with, with my previous uh, employer. They were much more international, uh, much more complicated from a legal structure. ABM, although a $5 billion company, primarily U.S.-based. So from a Treasury perspective, a lot of interesting projects and a lot of things to do to accelerate the benefits, but you're not exposed to a lot of the areas internationally that I was with uh, CA. So I started to migrate my time here at, at ABM from being purely the treasurer to also an, a mergers and acquisition role. So that really opened uh, my perspective to all areas of the company and really working alongside the operational side of the business and those key stakeholders to really help the business uh, grow through M&A. So it really gave me an opportunity to leverage my skill set in treasury from a capital markets perspective my skill set in the reporting side through the my work with KPMG and, and and beyond and really begin to drive growth for the company which allowed me to 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 help the company grow to to where we are today now CA of course a, a large technology firm you jump to a facilities solutions and management company there are a lot of uh, finance professionals out there who just stick with high tech you were willing to make that leap, and it doesn't seem like uh, you you saw that as an obstacle, or you didn't have an incentive to stay in tech. I'm just wondering about your decision making at that point in time. 
Yeah, I would, I would, I would love to say it was uh, very strategic in terms of the the pivot. Um, for me, it was more of the opportunity that ABM presented itself um, to take on the treasurer role to be responsible for the full suite um, of services. Granted, uh, less complicated from a pure treasury perspective, but it gave me the opportunity to be you know closer to the C-suite uh, and the CFO and CEO and really begin to work on my operations side of the business. Um, so it was really an opportunity to, to pivot uh, away from technology. Obviously, different demographics, different customer base, et cetera, et cetera, but gave me that opportunity and, and um, you know, I haven't looked back. After you arrived there, you're in the treasury arena, but you get involved in M&A. Did you have M&A experience at CA as well? I know they grew through acquisition for a number of years. Yeah, it was very limited. It was more of a support role within Treasury. So where Treasury would you know, be a contributor to the M&A process, either from a financing standpoint or from an integration standpoint, that's where it was limited as I joined. Um, but I had a finance background through my, my consulting experience. So I had you know deep knowledge in capital markets, capital structure, et cetera. Uh, with ABM, obviously, I ran the, the full suite of M&A you know, from sourcing to integration. Um, you know, working alongside all of the counterparts within the company. So um, not a traditional M&A technical background, but I had enough experience where the CEO and CFO at the time um, allowed me the opportunity to, to really build out the practice. You advance into the CFO role while you're at ABM, and clearly a lot's going on as far as how the role of finance is changing. What was the job that you wanted to create for yourself as a leader then? Where do you, what was your vision here? Yeah, so um, interestingly enough, when I took the, the role as CFO, um, CEO is relatively new as well, been with the business for many, many years, but new to the CEO role. So I was his first appointment uh, in, the, in the capacity of his uh, leadership team. And we embarked on a fairly comprehensive strategy review for the business, um, you know, very deeply rooted in data, deeply rooted in a major transformation potentially, because at the time when we launched it, we were obviously going through a lot of fact finding and a data analysis to determine if we should pivot, what the benefits of that pivot could be. Um, so what was really enticing for me as part of that process is where I would like the evolution of, of the finance function to be from more of a, uh, what I would say, a reporting role, uh, a partner with the business uh, to a strategic role, continuing to be a partner with the business. You know, obviously we have to be always uh, on top of and focused on all of the controls and all of the requirements of being a public company and also having uh, Sarbanes-Oxy and all the things that go along with, with the control framework front of mind. But I also wanted to create a dynamic with the team, and I have a phenomenal team around me, um, that really starts to drive business decision-making. So we're, we're underway in that process. We're by no means there. But that's what was one of the most enticing part of the transformation. It really allowed me uh, and my team to kind of redefine uh, the finance function for what we're calling our 2020 vision. Um, and migrating the, 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 those capabilities alongside the operational changes that we're making. Can you give us a sense of the competitive landscape for ABM's offerings today? 
Sure. So if you think about um, our core services, so ABM is primarily derived of core services being janitorial or, or cleaning. We're the, the largest janitorial company in the U.S. Uh, we have a parking service, uh, an engineering service, and then we have a, a higher uh, margin technical service. Um, the migration, the first part of our transformation was taking the services and migrating them into a vertical or industry group focus. So rather than looking at as I'm selling a cleaning solution to a high-tech customer or I'm selling a cleaning solution to an education facility, now we're saying our customer is that high-tech customer end-to-end. So I should be selling a solution to the high-tech. So our typical barriers of entry in any of our service lines, maybe putting aside the the technical solution side, are fairly low. Uh, As you can imagine, anyone that has a a broom, uh, a mop, and a bucket could enter our space. So the barriers of entry are typically low. Where we benefit from is scale. Being the largest, we have economies of scale. We have the ability to deploy labor much more efficiently than some of our smaller competitors. Um, But the traditional barriers of entry, they're fairly low. And one of the driving uh, theories behind our strategy is if we can get stickier with our customer by selling more services, we have a higher potential to retain that customer, a higher value proposition, and hopefully over time, we're creating value through the strategy. Okay, so I think you've given us a little bit of a clue there as to what metrics you're paying close attention to, but fill us in a little more. What are, what are those key metrics that you rely on uh, to reveal how the company's performing? So some of the key metrics, um, organic growth is a key metric, is how are we you know, building our business. As I mentioned earlier, M&A was a, a focus area of the company in terms of getting to $5 billion, but we're also focused on growing our, our base of book of business organically, so that's a key metric. Uh, margin, the whole theory and thesis behind our 2020 vision is we could be able to do more with customers. We can be more efficient in delivery of those services standardizing our operating procedures, that should lead to higher margins. So higher margin uh, and and primarily EBITDA margin being a key metric. Uh, And then we look at, you know, more traditional from a finance-led leverage, our cash flows and our capital allocation as it relates to shareholder distribution. You emphasized how the idea is to really sell additional services to your existing customers and how that sort of enriches uh, the customer relationship for you. But can you talk a little more about uh, how you've become more focused, perhaps, on the customer as as a finance function that you're, you know, I would imagine it's renewable revenues. You're you're also watching uh, which customers grow year to year. How, how would you characterize it for us? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the benefits of this strategy and the migration from, um, you know, traditional reporting role to being a business partner, and, and we're, you know, no means at uh, at the tail end, where I think with the early stages of the transformation from a finance perspective, but what I really want to enable um, my team is to ensure that they are working alongside the business on trying to drive all the metrics. So one of the things that we've created uh, alongside the operations and alongside our strategic value partners is a, a dashboard, uh, metrics dashboard that allows us to really ensure that we're looking at the key metrics we're trying to drive consistently across the business. As fundamental as that may sound, it really lacked uh, within ABM. Um, so what we're trying to do is drive consistency in what are the those drivers 
and how are we ensuring that finance is, is enabling our operators to drive those drivers uh, in the future. Um, so one of the things that 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 entails is uh, ensuring that we're picking the right metrics. We have the ability to capture those metrics in a repeatable way. So we're really looking into our data and how the data gets collected and what data points come into uh, into play to really begin to drive that consistency and really begin to drive the margin story uh, over time. Okay. So we always like to ask for a uh, finance strategic moment, and this may be uh, from your time at ABM or it could be earlier in your career, but what we're looking for is a a moment of strategic insight that you experienced along the way that really reveals how how finance has uh, unique lines of sight into the organization. Uh, what would you share with us? Um, I guess, you know, my aha moment, uh, lack of a better word, uh, came when I first became CFO at ABM, and I took over new functions like IT, tax, uh, planning and external reporting and, and investor relations. Um, I realized at the time, while they were all functioning, per se, at a high level, there wasn't really great strategic alignment. Um, so as part of the company's 2020 vision, you know, I really wanted finance to also be transformed into that business partner. Um, so for me, that aha moment really came as part of my broader responsibilities when I took over the role uh, close to two years ago to say, you know, we're functioning right, but we're not really integrating as a team from a strategic standpoint. And how do we ensure what the company's strategic uh, proposition going forward is going to be, finance, broadly speaking, is in line with those strategic priorities, and we're all marching to the same beat. Could you give us a, a bit more detail as far as how you got your team in step to where you felt this organization, this finance function had to go? Yeah, so uh, when we embarked on the journey from a finance perspective, you know, what we said or what our underlying theme was, do we need to be in the business uh, of repeatable transactions? And what I mean by that is when you looked at ABM organizationally across the U.S., there were multiple accounting centers pretty much doing uh, the same things but slightly different. And what I mean by that is uh, basic as, in the Northeast, they would print um, invoices on a certain type of letterhead. And in the West, they would print invoices on a different type of letterhead. And their process for printing invoices were different. Both value add, both being viewed as strategic to that local business partner. But when you take a step back and say, are we doing it efficiently across the enterprise? No one in their right mind would say there should be 14 ways of printing on an invoice. So the, 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 the basic, you know, premise of our transformation was let's standardize the way we print an invoice. I'm using this as a, you know, an example. Uh, let's centralize that so that we can have a fully functional group that's experts in printing invoices. And let's, what we keep in the business, let's make sure those individuals that are left in the business are really strategic partners so that when that local business owner or lo local business uh, uh, professional um, is running the day-to-day -day operational P&Ls, and they're saying, well, where's our margin for that particular account? Rather than just report it, let's also create ways that we can track it. Let's create ways that we can enable what we're going to be doing for that account uh, over time, and let's ensure that the team has the tools to do that. And that's what one of the biggest investments we're making is 
creating the tools to enable our operators to migrate uh, or migrate the margin profile uh, in line with what we're trying to accomplish with our 2020 vision. So it was really, really fundamental in terms of just taking a, a you know step back, clean sheet of paper, and say, do we need to be in the processing business and do it 14 different ways, or should we align on the right way to do it and do it in a centralized manner so that we can gain efficiencies as we move forward? and equip our finance people in the field to provide that value-add um, component to their job. Okay, I want to touch on the workforce with you because in this industry and others like it, we know that turnover is always a factor in, in, in sort of the maintenance arena and janitorial world. Uh, how, and I'm sure it's a concern as to how to retain and satisfy customers with a workforce that's engaged. When it comes to the organization's workforce, what are your priorities, perhaps, as a finance leader? So, for you know, with 100,000 plus employees, there's a, a high degree of service level employees, and our strategy from a retention standpoint at the service level is really going to be driven off of the local market conditions and our HR professionals and leadership specifically. As it relates to finance um, and, and finance role in the organizational design from a staff and management perspective, it's really to partner with our HR leadership and ensuring that the organizational design, uh, and what I mean by organizational design, one of the uh, one of the key steps of our 2020 strategy was to look at our organization and say, is it properly designed to support where we're heading uh, from an industry or vertical perspective? And do we have the right people on the right seats? And do we have the right people uh, to enable our, our trajectory under a 2020 vision? Um, so finance's role is to make sure that from an organizational design cost perspective, purely looking at the cost, that we support the company strategy. Um, so we're keeping very disciplined and focused on the cost side to grow profitability over time. Uh, as it relates to finance uh, talent management, you know, we're still doing a lot of uh, work on the right metrics as it relates to talent management. We just launched a new HR process as it relates to annual uh, reviews, and we're really not calling it annual reviews. It's a continual uh, review cycle. Uh, which should help uh, the organization over time, not just for finance, to really drive the behaviors we're trying to drive from the CEO down. Um, so we're in the early stages of that evolution, but uh, everyone who's been through the process, and we just kicked it off at year end, uh, is really excited about what benefits are going to grow over time uh, in terms of growing the right uh, individual career within ABM. Okay, we're, we're going to move to our mentoring round where we ask you several quick questions intended to uh, inspire and mentor aspiring finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, I think the, you know, uh, I should probably mention I, I was uh, prior to um, the, this year, I was actually the chairman of the board for uh, a finance association, the Association of Financial Professionals, the AFP. Uh, which is a five, 6,000 member organization, uh, primarily in finance and really disciplined all, over two work streams, treasury and financial planning and analysis. And what exciting me about finance in general is really the migration to that FP&A role or the financial planning and analysis role 
uh, in that it's really beginning to develop uh, into a skill set that uh, as a finance organization and what I, I see finance going forward is really the skill set that I'm looking to to embrace. And that's really that strategic partner. And I know I'm using that, that term a lot, but I really believe in it in the strategic finance partner to the operations to help operations make better decision make, making in terms of, you know, how do you price a contract? How do you migrate the margin? You know, what services you need to add? What is the returns from those services? So really put the lens of finance in a way that drives business decision making. Um, so really excited about that aspect of um, finance and business today. You mentioned uh, AFP, and you're a board member today. Is that right? Yeah. So I still sit on the board as past chairman. Um, I'm on, in my last term as board member for the next two years. Tell us a little bit about when you, if you wouldn't mind stepping back in time with us regarding AFP and the important role you believe uh, these types of associations play while you're building your career and 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 capturing knowledge. Sure. So uh, what attracted me as a member of AFP, and I've been a member for over 15 years now, uh, was an organization that had a body of knowledge that I could aspire to and also an organization that allowed me to um, interact with peers, interact with uh, other disciplines within treasury and finance, and really get a sense of collaboration as it relates to topics that I may have been challenged with at the time, and also to, to drive uh, standard ways of doing things within the business as they have certifications as one of their offerings, both the treasury certification and an SP&A certification. Um, and at the time, being my background was in treasury, um, I had sat uh, for the treasury certification. Um, but what I really realized going to conference, and they hold a annual conference, which I think is one of the best uh, in finance, if not the best in finance, uh, was really the breadth and depth of knowledge that they brought to the table. And as I started to get more involved in the AFP as a practitioner, um, I wanted to contribute back. Uh, and I had the, the opportunity and, and good fortune to um, be elected to the board and then rise as chair of the audit committee and then eventually chairman of the board, uh, which was a, a great way to give back and you know, help the organization uh, steer through their strategic priorities, one of which was the introduction of the FP&A certification, which I mentioned. I think that area of finance is one where it will continue to grow and be one where I think it's going to really be the driving force over the next couple of years. For those uh, finance, uh, aspiring finance leaders out there that want to get more involved, I'm just curious. I mean, did you just begin by volunteering to participate in panel discussions? I mean, is it the, you know, what's to be expected or are there other ways to demonstrate your interest in, in uh, getting more involved in these types of associations? Yeah, definitely panel discussions um, where you can contribute at annual conference. They have, uh, it's all uh, practitioner-led sessions, so there's no sessions led by anyone selling a product, um, and they pride themselves on having a very focused practitioner-led panel. So there's a lot of best practices coming from leaders in organizations, be it the treasurer, assistant treasurer, director, uh, CFOs, uh, et cetera. So I had not only had done uh, regional panels and participated uh, on local events, but I also spoke numerous times at the AFP uh, on various topics that were either requested, given my, my background, 
or was one where I thought we had accomplished something interesting at a, at a particular point in where I was in my career, and I wanted to share those best practices. So that's really where I got heavily involved with the AFP, um, which then, obviously, as I mentioned, translated into a board a board role, um, given my interest in you know contributing back. Wanted to just uh, just one last question regarding ABM. Sort of uh, in that type of environment, when you speak to other finance leaders from other industries and compare your priorities and compare the areas of the business that demand your time versus where maybe they spend their time, what's distinctive about ABM uh, in your mind? Um, you know, ABM is, as, as you mentioned earlier, over a hundred years old, uh, and you know, we're over a hundred years old because we've evolved as an organization over time. And I think the biggest challenge is you can never sit on your laurels. And and what I mean by that is you can't get comfortable in how things operate. You got to always expect and really try to drive change, be it in finance, be it in business. You have to have a an open mind that change is going to be inevitable. And there's no maybes about it. Uh, and that's really the challenge that uh, I think individuals have as they're going through rapid uh, amount of change and as technology prol- proliferates and that change just becomes a lot quicker uh, to market, having the right frame of mind and being able to drive change and be part of that change um, is hard. Uh, but I, as I mentioned, it, it's inevitable at the end of the day. What do you wish someone had told you as you stepped into that uh, CFO office for the first time, what is that piece of information you wish you have had at that moment? And I know it doesn't, it wasn't too long ago, perhaps, but what was it that you wish uh, you perhaps uh, someone whispered in your ear? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think for me, it's, you know, there's not enough hours in a day to be involved in everything and being new to the role somewhat, um, you know, I felt like I needed to be involved in every decision that was being made within my organization, within finance. And as I, ma- I mentioned, I'm also responsible for, for IT, uh, IR, et cetera. Um, so, you know, being able to let go and really prioritizing is something that sounds intuitive, but is probably the best advice I would give someone migrating to a, a new role, be CFO or new new role in any part of the organization that has a broader set of responsibilities, you, you need to step back sometimes and uh, not, you know, not go crazy trying to be involved in everything because there's not enough hours in a day to do that. Is there a personal habit that you have that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Um, I think, you know, one of the principal things that, that's led uh, my success personally has been, you know, if we're not able to make a difficult decision, uh, one that could be kind of passed over, then we shouldn't be surprised if someone else makes it for us. And I know that sounds pretty draconian, but in essence, uh, why it's led me or steered me is, you know, this is a business. We have to make the right decisions. We have to balance those decisions with a, a number of different uh facets, be it on the uh, personal side, be it on the external side, be it on the internal side. Uh, But once we have a decision that we know is the right decision, you have to act on it. And I think that's a challenge sometimes because there are so many different uh, constituents that you're trying to balance out. 
Um, but with the facts at hand and with uh, all the information and with a team that supports you through the decision-making, my advice is always to make the decision because if not, if it's the right decision, someone else will make it for you. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Um, yeah, interestingly enough, it's, a, it's a, actually a recent book uh, that was recommended to me by a, a colleague uh, that's entitled Leadership and Self-Deception. And it's an interesting title, interesting book as well. Uh, not your typical business book, but it really helped me question some of my management tactics and how to help put myself in the shoes of another. Um, so really makes you think through when you say certain things, how you think you're saying it and how that individual may be hearing it may be two different things. And if you're trying to drive behavior and you're trying to change behavior, sometimes the way you change behavior is to understand how that person may have heard or may have uh, interpreted what you just said. So it's a good book to, to really question certain ways of looking at things. Um, and it's the whole premise is getting in or out of the box and whether you're in or out of the box, meaning whether you're self-aware or not. Um, so for me, it was a, a way to, to really question some of the ways that I've been communicating in the past and, you know, help me to, to tailor some of that to at least put me in my frame of reference or frame of mind in the other person's, uh, in the other person's shoes at the end of the day. Okay, that's a, that's a new selection for us, Leadership and Self-Deception. I see it here on Amazon, and it's by the Arbinger Institute. Interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that. We Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Our final question. Anthony, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? It's really the transformation in finance, migrating uh, to that business partner and enabler, empowering the finance team to act as a uh, a change agent with the business and hopefully drive the long-term value that I'm committed uh, to from an organizational standpoint and also I'm committed to from a business and individual development standpoint. So I do truly believe strategically um, having that as being the business partner and enabling what we're trying to drive organizationally is going to drive both professional and uh, individual growth. So I'm excited about that over the next uh, 12 plus months. Anthony Scaglione, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Great being here. Thanks again. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey. 
in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.